Welcome everyone to the mightiest podcast in the nine realms, metas, and mutants. I am Tombstone the Dead Man, and this is my fellow Avenger, Super Psy Guy. What up? What's good, Super Psy Guy? Oh man, the new Moon Knight run came started. Oh yeah? And I read issue one, and holy shit, it is <laughs> fantastic. Wow. wow. I have like three specific pages saved, but there are many more in there that were worth it wow yeah i'm i'm I, I'm convinced no one can tell me different that there's there's going to be more invested interest in this character in the comic books the, for the build-up to his series like as is having that whole thing with the avengers yeah like and really that actually his plays profile. a part in it. Mm-hmm. That, that actually plays a part in this run. He has a psychiatrist who apparently was tasked by the Avengers mm-hmm. to counsel Mark. Wow. And he, even she's sitting there. It's like, this is the part where I'd assume you're lying and you're crazy. Mm-hmm. But the Avengers asked me to do this for you for a reason. Because some of this stuff might actually be true. Right, right. Because he's, like, talking about how he's died twice, and the two times they reference were actual uh, previous runs of the comic. Ah, nice, Where nice. He, he had died. So it was like, all right. So these writers have actually paid attention to the lore mm-hmm. and straight-up referenced them. You know what's but funny about that, though? One of the guys, one of the guys he... He fights in this first run. Is a very uh, a very lesser known Spider-Man villain, hmm. and he takes shots at Spider-Man while dealing with these guys. <laughs> and he likes Spider-Man. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, matter. He was dealing with Vermin. Oh, I remember Vermin. Except Vermin figured out how to clone himself. And and uh, he ends up killing one of those clones, and looks at them as like, "I know who you are, vermin. One of <laughs> Spider-Man's foes. Some mad science guinea pig used to be a man. Hates being alone. Now you can clone yourself. Good trick. Means you're never alone. Unless I kill all of you right now, <laughs> and I can." And I will. I'm not <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> I'm Moon Knight, and I don't die. That's, that's the other thing I, I find funny about that, right? So I get Moon Knight is a nut. He's absolutely a nut. However, however, if Moon Knight says he died twice in in the, in, in the Marvel Universe, you can probably you probably can believe that, like because people die all the time and come the fuck back. Like that's that's a common occurrence over there. So every time I see people act shocked and surprised, like if it was me, if I was a fish out of water, just got plopped into the the Marvel universe and the comic books, and I, I was around there for a few months and saw the going ons that's happening around there, Moon Knight could pretty much probably tell me anything and I'd believe it. Just going on, dude. I just saw them fight off something they call Galactus. Like, yeah. I, 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 I wouldn't be that skeptical of him. And that probably might be to my detriment because he is a loon, right? But yeah. after all he the has, stuff that I saw, like... <laughs> yeah, but then he follows that up. It's like, I understand how losing your people hurts you. 
but these people in this building, in this neighborhood, are my people. Mm. You're trying to eat. You mm-hmm. tried to take one of mine. I did take one of yours. <laughs> you can leave it at that, scurry off, and keep clear of my territory. Or you can test me further. And see what happens. In other words, wait a minute, did Moon Knight just tell Vermin to fuck around and find out? <laughs> yeah. Straight up. <laughs> Hilarious. And then later on, he, he sees something else. He sees fucking eight ball trying to do a shit. Mm-hmm. And this doctor actually fought back. And <laughs> he's talking to his, uh, his secretary. Mm-hmm. And he's like, are you sure it's a supervillain? Yeah, that's what they said. Comes here, doesn't look like he's doing a great job of it. Sees the doctor beating the crap out of 8-Ball. And the doctor looks up, sees him, stops. And Moon Knight's like, no, no, please, don't stop on my account. (laughs) 8-Ball finally picked the wrong civilian, huh? And it's like, oh, oh, crud, it's Moon Knight. Listen, man, don't cut my face off, please. I'll surrender. (laughs) And it's like, oh, my God, they made the joke. Well, you know... I'm looking at um, some of the pages like, now. This it, artwork is amazing. Yeah. This artwork and is... And the writing is really well done. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to check it out. I'm glad I get to start at, at number one. I'm definitely... When I, when I get a chance, I'm going to definitely dive into this because um, this looks amazing. Dude, that cover... That cover art is insane. That next page... <laughs> that next page... Where he's sitting there in the whole Mr. Knight persona. That, that's crazy. I like that. Oh, yeah. Well, the Mr. Knight persona is a regular thing because that's how he deals with the normal people. He dresses up when he's dealing with, or he dresses up as the Moon Knight when he's dealing with all these people here. Right. He still goes out as Mr. Knight when he's talking about, you know, dealing with his other things like, going to a psychiatrist, running his midnight mission, his, yeah. his church to Kanchu. He's like, yeah. oh yeah, I hate my God. My God hates me, but I'm still his high priest. His duty is now my duty, and I owe him when he saved my life. That's funny that he and says that. And it's basically going there. It's like, Yeah, he straight up's like, I hate my God. He hates me. <laughs> He's That's locked funny. up somewhere by the Acer, and it's well-deserved. He right. tried to take over the world. Right. You know what's funny, and though? I, is, help, um, I helped him do it regardless of if it was the right thing or not. It sounds a lot like that scene in um, the first Lethal Weapon movie where Danny Glover says, complaining about having to deal with uh, with Riggs, he says, God hates me. That's what, that's what the problem is. And Riggs goes, Hate him back. Works for me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I hate my God. My God hates me. And, you know, somehow there's there's some respect in that. (laughs) Some mutual respect going on over there. That's crazy. Um, I did finally read uh, that Thor um, issue. And just just as you said, I certainly understand... um, why they did what they did. Like, there are, they're going to be traditionalists that's going to have an issue with it. And a lot of times, I'm a traditionalist when it comes to that character too, but this right here, 
I don't see that, this. That's how you handle it. That's how you handle it. That's definitely, and, and I prefer this really um, because the longer he stays there in, in, as an Avenger, the more his credibility as a king and all father takes a hit. Like you don't, you, 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 your credibility takes a hit when you're a member of a team that, that fights threats that are while dangerous should not really challenge an all father. That should, that should not be challenged. I know with Odin, like he wouldn't even get involved with half that shit that the Avengers would be, were dealing with before. Like for what? First of all, he sees himself as way above them. And secondly, He's probably laughing like, "Oh, y'all had a, y'all had a problem with that. Well, why didn't you? Oh, that's right, because you can't." So for thought to be sitting in his seat and be a part of the team and be getting ragdolled by by shit he shouldn't be getting ragdolled by, it's like I literally saw Odin destroy a solar system, and <laughs> you sitting here having a problem with like, I don't I don't understand. So because of that, to me, that is the best possible. He left it right there. He left it right there on the table. Um, yeah. Can't really. I mean, I don't know if Steve's going to use it because nobody else on the Avengers team can use it. Well, I, I can't even say that now. Can't even say that now. Because uh, didn't Tony Stark pick it up that last time? Yeah. Yeah. Like, Actually, I might even consider what Thor did to be a little irrespons- irresponsible, to be honest. The the hammer being in the state that it's in now. And uh, actively misbehaving. Yeah, like, you're just going to leave it with a bunch of mortals? You, that shit needs to be locked up in Asgard some motherfucking way. But people can't get to it. Like, before, you, when you have a planet-busting weapon... Before the the argument could have been made, well, Thor is one of the only people that can pick it up. Even though even back then it was other people that could lift it, it was very few and far in between. But now with it malfunctioning, times people could only lift it in very certain situations. Certain exactly, exactly. Steve isn't ordinarily worthy. No, no. He's but during when he comes to fighting Thanos, the fact that he was willing to lay 100% of everything on the line to sit down and stop it and all right. this other stuff. Right. That made him worthy in, in that, that moment. moment. Right. Right. And that's how it works is storm isn't ordinarily worthy, but during that moment where she did have it, right. The cause she was fighting for made her worthy. Exactly. But now yeah, that's not- thrown out the window. Thor is pretty much the only person who's consistently and constantly worthy. Right. That and someone like Beta Ray, because his whole thing is fighting for the existence and safety of an entire race exactly. against demons. Exactly. So he's his cause is pretty much always worthy. Right. Right. But it's just crazy to me because now that's not the case. Loki can pick it up now. So it's like you left that with mortals? With all the shit they, they, they go through and the Nah, I wouldn't have left that down there. I wouldn't have. I'd have put that. I'd have made that inaccessible as a motherfucker. That's what I would have done. But oh, us again, yeah. Thor makes bad decisions as king. He does. <laughs> That's my man. But he makes bad decisions. He, he, he's a warrior, not a king. Exactly. He's used to it. He he, he he's gonna have to. Um, I don't know how long it's gonna take him to get used to it. 
But I know this, the threats aren't going to stop coming. So he's going to have to figure that part out. But um, on today's show, race in comics, um, because there is this, we're basically. So on today's show, we're covering a heavier topic. Sorry about that cutout. Yeah. Tunes having technical issues. Big time tech issues that I've got to figure out at some point. But um, yeah, we're we're going to um, we're going to tackle that because it's part of a series that we're doing. Actually, um, we're going to dispel the myth that comic books sh- shouldn't be about politics or that's some new stuff because we hear a lot of that going on now from the people who are I don't know uh, a bit salty about comic books covering. Basically, what we're going to show is that some people are salty about the type of politics, not the fact that it has politics because it's had politics all along. And we're going to expose that and we're going to start with race in comics. But before we get to that, we have some um, some news stories to do. And I'm going to jump on this first one. Um, David Ayer responds to James Gunn revealing he got an R rating for Suicide Squad. I mean... No one should be surprised that Suicide Squad has an R rating. Nobody. All right. So the article begins. Um, It's been well documented that David Ayer was told to tone down his vision for uh, Suicide Squad. And the director has now responded to James Gunn tweeting that he was given an okay for his R rated. David Ayer has always maintained that his original take on Suicide Squad was very different to the movie I cut out again (laughs) to the movie that Warner Brothers would ultimately release and recently stated that he made an amazing movie that just scared the shit out of the executives that's possible Um, the director never really elaborated on what exactly made them so nervous but the studio was clearly more open to the prospect of an R-rated Suicide Squad movie by the time James Gunn pitched his idea for a sequel slash reboot. Gunn sent out the following tweet when Collider shared the details of their 2019 set visit, and Ayer had a very brief but telling response of his own. Um, So this is from the tweet, James Gunn's tweet. He says, When I first met with uh, Warner Brother Pictures and DC Comics about the Suicide Squad, I said it would need to be an R-rated war film with no holds barred. I am always up front with partners about what I want to do. They agreed. Once the rules were set, we were off and running. I love this movie. David Ayer, one word response in the tweet, dang. (laughs) 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 I feel him. I feel him. Air is clearly a little disappointed that it took Warner Brothers so long to embrace the more a more adult-oriented take on Task Force X. But as as Gunn points out in his follow-up tweet, some of the key people making those decisions are different now. And he says, uh, although a lot of major players at Warner's were different people, there was no doubt their troubles with you helped to pave an easier path for me, David. So I'm grateful for that and for everything else you did to help this movie along its path. Warner Brothers boss and Sarnoff hasn't been swayed by the release the air cut campaign. 
and recently made it very clear that she has no intention of allowing Air to revisit Suicide Squad. There's always a chance this exchange can renew interest, but we won't be holding our breath. Yeah, I won't be either. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, especially if um, if James Gunn knocks this movie out of the park like he did with Guardians. There's literally no reason to revisit the David Ayer thing. For what? And that's and that's just the point. I I don't know David Ayer enough to really know his body of work outside of that one Suicide Squad movie. Right. But James Gunn, thanks to Guardians, built himself a reputation of being able to do this kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, yeah. No and that's probably what edged Warner Brothers into letting him have the R rating. No doubt. I would not doubt it. Um, what's the next story? Next up, <clears throat> Warner Brothers repeat, uh, reportedly want Robert Pattinson and Matt Reeves to make up. Uh, <laughs> for those who don't know necessarily, <laughs> supposedly there's some pretty big onset feuds between them. <laughs> Oh, boy. Hilarious. So, the working relationship between movie stars and their directors requires a fine balance of leadership and compromise from both parties. A director tends to be accountable for the quality of the movie considering they control its direction but they are very dependent on the performance of their team of actors and on-set staff. What happens when a huge blockbuster movie with a $100 million budget sees the director and main star begin to fight? You get a very concerned publisher. Mm. According to an insider source, we've come to learn that Warner Bros. are reportedly trying to reconcile Robert Pattinson and Matt Reeves' strained relationship. Studio is concerned that its two key staff on a prime project reportedly aren't working well together. The pair has allegedly butted heads numerous times on the set of the Batman. With an, with another early recent report saying Robert Pattinson reportedly doesn't want to work with Matt Reeves again, and there was also that report a few <laughs> months ago that Matt Reeves doesn't want to work with Robert Pattinson either. <laughs> Thanks to Pattinson supposedly having sex in the Batmobile. That's what which, we heard. again, we both pretty much said, yeah, and... And? <laughs> it's the Batmobile. You take that shot. <laughs> Facts. It seems like Warner Brothers are having an appropriate reaction to this incident. With Batman 2 rumored to be in the media studio's plans... They're doing the right thing by trying to get ahead of this. By reconciling the relationship between Reeves and Pattinson, Warner Brothers would be protecting their interests as one would expect. If the relationship is mended, then we could hope to see Pattinson and Reeves reprise their roles if the movie is successful. As always, this is a rumor we've learned from our insiders and is therefore not guaranteed to be completely true. But if Pattinson and Reeves are truly feuding, then we wouldn't be surprised that this is the case. Yeah. Oh, boy. You know, the, the, the interpersonal politics 
are what they're going to be. But when you compile that with um, the politics of execs, it can be a problem. So I'm hoping that's not something. I, I like that trailer a lot. The trailer they released. I thought yeah. it had the energy that you needed for a brutal, like Batman is not, we joke bat we slander Batman on this show a lot because it's fun. Also, it has and the benefit of being true. Of <laughs> All right. Also has the benefit of being true. He is the worst the character. You know, but when I think of Batman, if you really want to do a real Batman, you do have to, you have Son of a bitch. Now, ironically, me cutting out here doesn't mean I cut out, hopefully, on the thing that I'm recording. I'm hoping. Um, we'll have to see <laughs> as time goes on. But, yeah, man, like, um, if you want to do a Batman correctly, I really feel like the Ben Affleck Batman, how brutal he is, how, like, that. I mean, I'm not talking about what they wind up doing to him by the time the Justice League movie came along. I'm talking about what he was in Batman vs Superman. Um, he was fairly brutal and 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 brooding, right? So that ver- that version of a young Batman that we saw in that trailer that scene that seemed like it had the right energy to me. Like when he pulled oh, yeah. that guy, it, it looked like, like that gritty, mm-hmm. younger, early Batman that didn't quite have everything together yeah he he felt like he had something to prove he had to make his point to the criminal world this is the period where he gave them a reason to fear you know um because you you have to he had to establish it early and i think this is that's the era where he did in that first year just beating the crap out of people right that's what i want to see so um i'm hoping today whatever personal issues these 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 guys have they can get over it and still give us a quality product. Um, because as much as I like to bag on the bat, I do want to watch a good Batman film. I don't want crap. So let's get that started. Um, yeah. Next a story. Winston Duke talks emotional return to MCU and Black Panther 2. Now look, before I get into this article, I recently went on Winston Duke's Instagram. He's getting jacked. Like, he was I a little pudgy. So. He, he was, is playing Mbaku. That's true. Now, he was a little pudgy, like, in that in that, in that that first Black Panther world. But, I mean, he's getting ripped. And I think that's dope. One of the best things that could happen is if they give him um, the Black Panther mantle. <laughs> that, that would be so dope. Let's hope that happens. Um, the article starts, um, after Chadwick Boseman's tragic passing, the future of the franchise was thrown through a loop. Everyone was in mourning, and the world of Wakanda fell into limbo. Thankfully, though, the Black Panther franchise will live on. Announced last December, Marvel revealed that the sequel was to be called Black Panther Wakanda Forever and focused on the world of Wakanda and its people. Plot details are unknown, but the project has just started production in Atlanta, Georgia, so hopefully more will be known soon. Making this film hasn't been an easy task. Many have spoken out about how challenging it has been, like director Ryan Coogler stating that it has been one of the hardest things that he has had to do in his entire life. 
It's a sentiment that has been shared by several other cast members as well who have expressed how emotional it was to be continuing films without Bozeman. I can only imagine um, because as hard-hitting as his death was to fans like me, these people knew him. They so, worked with yeah, him. Yeah, like... They were arguably friends with him. Yeah, yeah. And you could see it like when they would go out to do their uh, press runs. You could see how close they had gotten. And it's like the fact that he just up and died, like that had to be, it, this had to be a real trying, stressful experience. Um, story uh, continues, with filming having just started, it's certain to be a difficult journey, but everyone involved is confident that they are making something truly special that would make Chadwick Bozeman proud, including Winston Duke, the man behind Black Panther's M'Baku. When talking to Kaleida, Winston Duke confirmed that he would be returning for Black Panther Wakanda forever as his character of M'Baku for the first Black Panther film. In talking about the upcoming film, Duke expressed that it was very emotional to read the script and everyone involved was a bit of a family now and they grieved together. He says it was very emotional to read the script. It was emotional to pack, to go back to the set, but we're all a bit of a family now and we grieve together and we're making something really special. There is no doubt that the production of Black Panther Wakanda forever will be a difficult process for most of the cast and crew. But it's important that the word of Wakanda and its people live on. It means so much to so many fans, and it is a necessity in today's world for that light to continue to shine bright. As for the mantle of Black Panther, details regarding who may wear the suit next are still in the dark. There are many theories ranging from a newly introduced character to Shuri, to even a resurrected and redeemed Killmonger. Fans do know that the film is set to introduce Namor and his fictional kingdom of Atlantis. With Tanakh Herta uh, set to wield the trident, with the introduction of Atlantis, the film is likely to focus on a conflict between two nations. Their relationship in the comics isn't all that friendly, and it's safe to assume that the same can be said for their place in the MCU. Black Panther Wakanda Forever is set to release in theaters worldwide on Jan- on July 8th, 2022. Yeah, I, I'm... So this is my birthday movie next year. Yeah, apparently. I'm waiting to see um, how they handle all of this. And I am fairly certain we will be surprised at what they're going to do. Fairly certain. Uh, what's the next story? Next up is uh, Marvel is reportedly interested in bringing back Ultron in the MCU. I am okay with that uh, because Ultron never really disappears for good. So. No. That's his whole thing. All there needs to be is one piece of him yep. in a hard drive somewhere. Yep that maybe he disconnected from the internet earlier mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. and get that plugged in and we have Ultron. We have Ultron. So so no Marvel Cinematic Universe project has ever generated as many fan theories as WandaVision, which spawned at least a dozen new lines of inquiry every time an episode dropped. Facts. Of course, that was to be expected when the franchise's first episodic exclusive dealt with the very fabric of reality. 
And one recurring notion is the idea that James Spader's Ultron was set to drop by for a surprise appearance. It all began when Spader was spotted on IMDb, listed amongst WandaVision's credited cast members, and continued several weeks in after the malevolent artificial intelligence <laughs> of course, as soon as Evan Peters appeared as the recast version of Pietro, the rumor gained traction once again, mm -hmm. if only because Ultron was responsible for the death of the real Quicksilver in the second Avengers outing. Right. Obviously, the villain never returned, but insider Daniel Rickman now offers that Marvel are nonetheless interested in bringing Spader's Ultron back into the fold to have him fight the Scarlet Witch in a future MCU project. That's about the beginning and end of the tipster say on the matter, but the Blacklist star is expected to lend his vocal talents to What If after leaked concept art showed Ultron wielding the Infinity Stones. So perhaps any talks he had with the studio regarding an animated comeback may have circled around to live action as well. As for where it could happen? Well... If we were to speculate, then Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness would be the logical and obvious choice. Mm -hmm. Not only will we see Scarlet Witch travel through countless alternate realities to find her children, but it's the only movie or TV show that Elizabeth Olsen is officially confirmed for at the moment. And an Ultron cameo makes perfect narrative sense given their history. Right. So yeah, that's, that's it. I am... Looking forward to them if they do that because that will effectively have made it another villain that they did not kill off, right? And there's still a lot of story to tell with Ultron. There's a lot of story to tell with him, so they definitely need to do that. They definitely need to do that. I'm here for it. Um, So with that last story, we are now going into the main topic of this episode very uh important topic and i feel like this was actually suggested by um super saga to um to talk about this stuff and i think it's important because this conversation typically what happens uh uninformed people are very loud and they get to frame the narrative so people who other people who don't maybe not have a dog in this fight We'll hear these loud people say that and, and take it for granted, because nobody fact checks, <laughs> take it for granted that they're right. And they're not. Um, so with that, I will allow Super Side Guy to uh, begin. All right. So in the context of race and comics, which is the premise of this episode, mm -hmm. is the fact that this is what I call the Captain America scenario. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In context of Captain America, his race isn't necessarily important. It's why we were able to later get Sam Wilson as Captain America. Right. Bucky Barnes as Captain America. All that stuff. But in context of the individual characters playing Captain America... Race is important. 
Right. Steve Rogers could never be black if you keep his origins as the World War II hero. Facts. Because he was selected, as much as he was selected for his character, he was only even an option for that because he represents the American ideal Mm -hmm. in the 20s and 30s, Mm -hmm. which is white, blonde hair, blue-eyed. Unfortunately, the closest valid argument to a black Captain America in that time frame is Isaiah Bradley. Right. And we saw how well that happened in the Falcon and Winter Soldier series. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and we also and anyone who read the miniseries Truth Red, White and Black, which is the story that episode is about, mm-hmm. you see the same kind of thing. Steve does something, gets rewarded for it, gets medals for it. Mm-hmm. Isaiah did the same thing got thrown in jail for 60 years yeah. for insubordination, for going against orders, for questioning what he was told to do. Mm-hmm. And any real-world history buffs, you can easily read and find reports about... It wasn't pretty. No. And the story of Isaiah Bradley reflects that right in fact there was a uh, something i shared on my personal page probably about two weeks ago i think three mm-hmm. weeks ago was how the u.s because the u.s was still segregated at the time right so when they had their military in world war ii overseas they tried to force the countries they were in to also segregate yeah yep And there was an issue because it almost led to white U.S. soldiers fighting black U.S. soldiers Mm -hmm. and British soldiers in Britain because Britain did not segregate their black people from white people. And black people were dining with white people in the town they were stationed in. Right. And the white soldiers didn't like that and didn't appreciate that. And it basically led to the entire town making every building blacks only. None of the white soldiers could sit there and eat there or anything <laughs> after that event. That's so crazy. But the fact that the U.S. tried to actively implement segregation in these foreign countries because it was how they did it at home, and this was during World War II, is exactly why Steve Rogers, if we keep his origins in that time frame, could not be black right if you set steve rogers up in say the iraq war mm-hmm. his race would play absolutely no, no matter exactly, exactly exactly but because of the fact that it's world war ii he would have to be a white person for it to make sense yeah in any sense of the way yeah and then you also now go ahead, go ahead. yeah go on oh i was about to say um and I think what's missing most of the time with the, this conversation is there's a lack of nuance because there are situations where, like you said, um, it doesn't make logical sense. 
for certain characters to be any other race than what they initially was if you take the timeline and cultural and the theme of what the character is supposed to be. But there are situations where it does not matter <laughs> what the race of the person is that takes the mantle. That's not an intrinsic part of that per- of that character's entire uh, uh, origin story or lore going forward. That's not important. Yeah, and we're that's actually something we're going to touch on later as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. this. So, next part, again, part of the Captain America scenario is right. while the shield itself is iconic and is basically what makes Captain America so iconic is that shield. Right. The concept of who Captain America is can be used by anyone. It's been shown. We've had, you know, John Walker play Captain America right. before he became U.S. agent. Right. We've had Bucky play Cap. In states of Captain America, which basically explores that concept as a whole. Mm. In and as the premise is, I believe each issue you're going to meet a new person who's taking up a Captain America title in their area. The first issue you meet this homeless a gay homeless guy who starts fighting for homeless people and all this stuff along the railways Mm -hmm. because that's what does he travels along the railways and everything else and that actually gets him targeted by an assassin and this is right after steve's shield gets stolen from him by a guy who's just as skilled and Hmm. arguably faster than steve is right that's saying something and the guy straight up tried to blow up a train. So it's like obviously trying to make Captain America look bad. And he's right. wearing a Captain America costume. Yeah, but it's like 10 to 1 because I obviously count as nine Captain Americas. <laughs> and then later on, it's like, oh, yeah, it's 50 to 1 because I've now upped myself to 49 Captain America. <laughs> and. You know, it's a little bit of fun banter that way. But they end up meeting this guy, and then it teased the next issue if where it's like uh, Captain America of Brooklyn or something like that, or of somewhere else maybe. But it was like, and it shows a new person that they're going to meet in the next issue that's taken up Captain America. Right. So... As you explore that concept, you realize that not only is it possible to turn being an icon into a thing of nationalism and racism and bigotry and general hate, Mm -hmm. but it's also possible to turn it into hope and freedom and liberty. Right. And that's kind of what they're exploring. Steve even touches on the fact that there's the American dream isn't necessarily real he's like there's two dreams and one lie right and the lie is what's being sold to most people as the dream and he talks about like how dangerous that is because it leads to the rise of nationalism and racism and hatred mm-hmm. because when it doesn't work out because it's a lie and it's not going to 
you have to blame somebody because it can't be your fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're going through finding all these people, like standing up for the poor, the homeless, the oppressed, and hunting down this assassin. Mm -hmm. And like that's the premise of it. And again, that's something you have to take into account. Right. That's something where, in this case, when you're standing, the poor and the homeless, race isn't necessarily a big thing. Right. When you're talking the oppressed, it's generally talking about minorities. Right. Black people, brown people, gay and lesbian people, transgender people, minorities. Right. So that's where that definitely comes in and they're exploring that, but they're exploring that as a team with Sam and Steve. Right. So you're seeing kind of both their views on the same thing. And there was also a daredevil comic, which was a tie in to a captain America story arc called Mm -hmm. streets of poison where captain America himself sort of shows his personal political beliefs and this was a run I want to say it was late 80s early 90s interesting but it was uh where Captain America sees the, a newspaper looks at it and it's talking like how the US was invading Pamina or Panama uh, using the war on drugs as the premise. Right, right. And he's like, when are we going to leave these Latin American countries alone? We're using a war on drugs as an excuse to exploit the third world. Yep. Yep. And that's, again, that's something where you don't necessarily think of that as a racial thing until you realize third world countries are generally the countries that were colonized by Europe. Absolutely. And to an extent, America, because America does have colonies. Still. Yes, yes. They, they don't call them colonies. They call them protected territories, <laughs> like Guam, Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. uh, American Samoa, mm-hmm. and all that other stuff. They're still basically American colonies, and we see them do the same thing that the British did, and the French did, the Spanish did, the Germans and Belgians. All of them did the same kind of stuff in Africa Facts. that you see America doing in Latin America now. Yeah. yeah. So like that's basically the Captain America scenario, as I like to call it, is the mm-hmm. fact that you see... The character itself isn't necessarily tied to race, but the individuals who make up the character right. is. It's not and as how- simple a lot of times as people try to um, paint it because you do have to take into consideration the timeline. Um, you have to take into consideration the culture. You have to take into consideration the just overall scenario of what makes sense. Like you said earlier uh, at the start of it, um, there's no way Steve Rogers could have been black during the time when that mantle was given to him. It's it. There's no way the, the the country would be willing to accept that 
And the mindset of most of the people at that time was to belittle black people. So the idea that they would then take one to become a standard or a uh, basically the icon, the icon of the country is unrealistic. It's completely unrealistic. Yep. I have never read actually that um, Streets of Poison run, so I'm definitely going to be looking into that. I know at one point in that run, you get Kingpin versus Red Skull in, <laughs> in a wrestling match where neither of them trust the other, so they're only in their underwear to prove that they <laughs> don't have hidden weapons. <laughs> uh, sure, Red Skull, that's why you were in your underwear. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's hilarious i have got to read the and story. i believe kingpin wins that one well i mean listen the dude's an absolute monster he's a monster <laughs> like i mean come on there's a reason they actually think even though he's never been confirmed as it there's a reason why a lot of people suspect kingpin as a mute right right because truthfully even the way they describe why he's as strong as he is, that is abnormal. That That is abnormal for a guy that size, for them to say that it's all muscle. Even though when you look at him in his suits and everything, he was like a fat boy. But they're saying that all that is just muscle mass. That's but not again, normal. Look at, yeah. And the fact that his muscle is so dense. Yeah. That knives and axes and stuff come on man don't fully penetrate him. come on in fact smaller knives and everything just straight up break hitting him I, I, I listen it, like if, yeah if a like writer Spider-Man came out got thrown through through a wall yeah he was come like on. he has to be a mutant like that was spider-man's actual thought bubble was he's so strong he has, has to, to be, be a mutant, mutant. I'm listen. If some writer decides to come along and retcon that he is that that Kingpin is a mutant, and the reason he kept it silent I, is because I wouldn't of the, question. I wouldn't question either. And and they could they could literally say he kept it silent because of the stigma, um that that you know goes along with being a mutant in a, in a world that is bigoted towards mutants. He didn't want to deal with that. Like I wouldn't even question that at all. Yeah. Like, I straight up would not question him if they said that. Hell, I also wouldn't question him if they said he managed to have an experimental. Yeah, right. Right. Because it would explain that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. That's freakish. But him being just a normal human just doesn't quite seem right. Yeah, I I don't think so. I I don't think so. Um, So... We, uh, I know you wanted to go into uh, something about the X Men, but before we do that, I do, I did want to bring up um, Adam Bashir. Bashir, um, yes. So Adam Bashir, those of you who may not be familiar with his um, real name, his uh, superhero code name is B- the Blue Mar- Marvel, and the Blue Marvel, to me, has one of the more uh, unique origin stories very troubling and to be honest with you um when i first heard it 
it didn't hit me until I actually went and reread it because Blue Marvel was fast on the way of becoming one of my favorite characters simply because of his power set and his abilities beyond just his superpowers. He's a damn genius, right? So just for those of you that may not be familiar with him because it's not like they've used him a lot, he was born in Chicago, Illinois. Um, raised at an early age, realized he was a prodigy. So as a former fullback at Cornell University, he graduated magna cum laude. He had PhDs in electrical engineering and theoretical physics. Like I said, the guy's mind is amazing. So he also was a veteran of the Korean War and a member of the U.S. Marine Corps with two silver stars. And while in the Marine Corps, he met a guy named Connor Sims. Later, this guy would be known as Anti-Man. So um, years later, Brashear became involved with a project called uh, Project Perseus. And it was an attempt to harness antimatter through the creation of a negative reactor, which, you know, created a bridge between a negative zone. And those of you that are into the Fantastic Four and the comics, you'll be familiar with the negative zone and the positive matter universe. So this reactor was supposed to allow for an unlimited source of clean energy by allowing these devices to tap into the energy that's generated by a, a event horizon. Um, balance between these two positive and negative universes. But there was an explosion. You know how these things work. And both Brashear and Sims were subjected to a mutagenic radiation. And they both got powers as a result of it, but their powers were slightly different. So Sims' body was disassembled into energy where Brashear became a stable antimatter reactor and developed a whole host of superhuman abilities. Now, I want to go into his abilities real quick, not because that's as as important for um, what I want to talk about here, but for those of you that may not be familiar with the character, you probably would like to know. Um, antimatter energy absorption, right? That's one power he has. His physiology, um, where that seems to be the main source of, it, of his power, as a matter of fact, is from antimatter. Superhuman strength. Blue Marvel possesses vast levels of superhuman strength, capable of lifting in excess of 100 tons. So you know what that means, right? He can lift way over that. Matter of fact, he was seen lifting um, a 1960s-era American warship called the Enterprise. That weighs 93,000 tons. So, was it a starship? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it probably was the precursor, you know, and, and, and probably out of the same line. <laughs> but listen, listen at 93,000 tons, him effortlessly lifting that, I'm pretty sure he could bench press the Starship Enterprise too. Um, he's now invulnerable, survived the hydrogen bomb blowing up in his hands, unfazed. Um, he fought Miss Marvel, Ares, Iron Man, Wonder Man, and Sentry at the same time and was barely harmed from that. He can breathe, survive in space. He has survived nuclear explosions without being harmed. He can manipulate antimatter uh, and, and in doing so, create concussive force bolts, stun bolts, energy pulse. He has flight, life longevity because he ages at a slower rate, matter manipulation. He has en enhanced mental perception and cosmic awareness. The dude has just a, he's an absolute beast. Absolute beast. But there's things about, about his story that once I read about it, really concerned me 
from a certain standpoint. So for a while when he uh, operated in the United States as a superhero, he had a mask. And with that full face helmet on, no one knew what his race was. But he got into a fight where uh, his face mask was damaged and his identity was revealed. And once that happened, um, it became a huge controversy in the United States. Why? Because this was 1962. In 1962, uh, a lot of the subtle racism that we had got accustomed to during the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and early 2000s, um, that wasn't a thing there. It was out-and-out racist, the society, all of it, from uh, the legalization of racist policies to the attitudes of the people at the time. To be black in America in 1962 was not a fun thing. And when the rest of the country saw that he was black, they wigged out. They wigged the fuck out to the point where President Kennedy asked him to retire. Even though he was reluctantly asked to do so, he told him to step back because people were afraid that a black man with superpowers uh, would, would do something to the rest of the country out of loyalty to his ethnic group. And the clear abuse that was happening to black people which is the other thing about that story, because the only reason you felt that way is because you knew you were shitting on black people. If you legitimately thought that you were treating black people well, you would have saw him being a black man as, oh, that's great, okay. But the fact that you knew you were shitting on black people is why you started feeling like, oh shit, this guy could change the, uh, uh, the balance of power in this country forever. So... He stopped being the um the Blue Marvel and um he lived a regular life. He found a wife. He got married to this wife. Come to find out years later, she was actually working for the United States government. And it was her job to get close to him so that she can keep an eye on him in case he ever changed the way he felt. Here is my issue. Doing all of this, he came back for one final mission where there was this alien armada that was bent on enslaving the earth. He fought this this person off. He fought, well, excuse me, this uh, threat off. And, you know, the United States government used that final mission to fake his death. My issue with the Blue Marvel is simply this. The way they wrote that story he thought it was absurd that he would use his abilities to protect black people. No. Why would I do that? I submit that is unrealistic as fuck. Because there is nowhere in the world you could have watched the things that took place during the 60s, 50s, 40s, whatever. There's no way you could have watched that. Saw the type of abuse, the lynchings, the beatings, and as a black man that grew up in that society, had those powers and it didn't cross your mind one time to go, you know what? We're not doing this. We're not, we not content continuing to have this happen. And the fact that he did has me looking at him kind of crazy. Not even going to lie, just as a character. That fact that he thought that, um, if you look at some of the dialogue in the story when he talked about it, 
Like, like it was almost absurd to even think that he would do something like that. Why, why would he do something like that? Because your folks are being walked on. Because your folks are being abused. And that to me is, it shows to me that even with them making the attempt to create a character that had some social conscience, that had some um, something that was relevant in the time in the United States where uh, race politics was as toxic as it was, they could not pull the trigger on the fact that he would have had the thought at least one time to go, nope, I'm smacking the shit out of every clan member I see. <laughs> nope, you couldn't even do that. You mean you mean the Black Panther method? Right, <laughs> right, exactly, exactly, exactly. Like they couldn't pull the trigger on that for one. And all I can think of is because they were trying to spare uh, uh, the dominant demographics' feelings on that. So, despite all the abuse that his folks. Many times, some people had to be people in his family had to go through. It never crossed his mind one time that he was going to use his powers to even some odds up and make things better for his folks. That sucks to me. I'm not even going to lie. So as much as I wanted to make him one of my favorite characters, I still have to square that circle with the fact that during the time when his people needed him the most, he decided to play both sides. He did the both sides argument. Well, there's there's good people on both sides. Uh, I don't want to, you know. That bothers me. And I think that that has a lot to do with um, people feeling like they have to put uh, certain restrictions and limitations on certain viewpoints. They felt like he could not be heroic had he had a momentary lapse where he defended his folks in a time when they were being grievously harmed. It's 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 just, I don't know, man. Something about that bothered me, especially considering he was created, one of the people that created him was a black guy. Uh, Kevin uh, Graveau, I cannot pronounce that last, you know, I'm terrible with names. <laughs> but he's a black guy. It's him and Matt Bo- Broom. I think Matt Broom may have drawn, drawn the character. But you would know the writer from if you watched any of those um what was that vampire movie with the uh the woman that was the uh deaf dealer? It was and it basically was like uh, werewolves versus vampires. Uh, and she wore the all black outfit. I cannot remember the name of that damn movie, but he was in there. He played a he played a werewolf in there. Big guy with a really deep voice. And it just, I don't know, man, it had me wondering, like, why would why would that have not been an element in the um, formation of that character, even if it was a momentary lapse? Because I know if I'd have been alive in, in, in 1962 and had powers, some of the shit I saw from those old uh, 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 video footage, I don't think I could have sat on my hands and did the whole, well... Both sides. Big, look. <laughs> look, I don't think I could have did it. And I don't think it's realistic to have a character that did that. That said, I'm not going to get involved. I don't I don't see that. But I figured in the conversation we was having about um, uh, race in comic books, I think the part of the scenario where people feel like they're restricted 
into really having an honest response with their characters to situations that was happening at the time is very limiting. And we ought not do that anymore. And I feel like uh, whoever's writing for Blue Marvel next, they need to have an explanation for why he didn't do that. I don't want to hear the both sides shit. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. He's, someone should be holding him accountable. Like, Sam should say something to him. Uh, 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 Luke. Somebody should say something to him about, hey, hey yo, you was around back then doing all that shit and, and you ain't <laughs> you ain't coming to help. You ain't. I mean, yeah, cool. You saved the world. All of us got to live on this planet. I, I get that, but you ain't not one time after looking at that footage, seeing the shit that was happening, not one time you ain't go down there and investigate. Throw your little blue helmet on and go down there and investigate some shit. Lynchings? Oh, no, we not doing that. Let me go down here and see what's happening. Not one time. Not once. Kind of weird. But yeah, I just want to interject that. <laughs> uh, we can get to uh, the X-Men and the Brotherhood of Mutants because that actually has a lot to do with race and uh, um sexual um uh what's the word i'm looking for discrimination against people with different sexual preferences there's a lot of parallels with the x-men yeah so yeah not a huge surprise if you've actually read the comics mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that mutants and the x-men as a whole was a metaphor for the civil rights movement when it first came out and has later been also used for social justice movements, including LGBTQ+. Right. All the way back to the 60s to now. Hmm. With the two most common comparisons being Professor X as Martin Luther King Jr. Right. And Magneto as Malcolm X. Right. And it follows. If you look at a lot of their politics, they match up with those comparisons very well. Right. They were both obviously fighting for the same thing, but in very, very different methods. Right. Magneto to Malcolm X is a lot more of the by any means necessary we will have our freedom right? and that's very fair Magneto was a young lad who witnessed genocide against his people because he was Jewish in Germany in World War II right. he witnessed one genocide already developed his powers, noticed other people getting powers and seeing that same kind of attitude and discrimination against them that he witnessed as a kid, and he decided never again. Mm. And that's where a lot of his stuff came from, the fact that he lived through it. Right. He's already been there once. He's already witnessed an attempted genocide once, and he's not going to lie down as it happens again. Right. Especially for things that... People can't control if they're born mutants or not, just like they can't control if they're born black or white. Right. They're they're born. They just are. And a lot of their early stories were very directly tied to the civil rights movements. Oh, hell yeah. 
Stan Lee even said this in an interview about what makes Magneto a compelling villain was, I did not think of Magneto as a bad guy. He was trying to strike back at people who were bigoted and racist. He was trying to defend mutants, and because society was not treating them fairly, he decided to teach society a lesson. Hmm. He was a danger, but I never thought of him as a villain. Yeah. Which, again, you tie that back to the fact that he's a survivor of not only multiple attempts to kill him because he was a mutant, Mm -hmm. but as a survivor of the Holocaust. The best thing about that to me was the fact that um, he was a new, he was a very nuanced character that you could literally uh, look at his past origins and tell why he is what he is. So it's not him being uh, 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 extra aggressive or militant just for the sake of it. No, he has little experiences that inform the decisions he makes and the opinions that he has, much like Malcolm X, who his father was murdered by the Klan. They bashed him in the head with a hammer and threw his body on a railroad track. Then that same system... um took his mom's, put her in a, a sane asylum until she died and separated the kids and put them in foster homes. So he has, you know, this backstory that informed the anger, that informed the militancy, just like Magneto. Yeah. And again, that's part of what makes him such a compelling character, mm-hmm. regardless of whether he's playing the villain or the hero, because he's done both right. plenty of times throughout his tenure in comics. Absolutely. And then you look at Xavier's philosophy, which is heavily rooted in what's now known as respectability politics. Yes. Yes. It's funny that you you mentioned that because I had never saw it in that light before. Like I knew that, that, that Charles was a little wishy-washy with that stuff. You know, oh, we just, if we, if we defend a world that hates and despises us, they'll, you know, if we save them enough, (laughs) they'll only call us muties behind our backs (laughs) instead of to our face. Right. Maybe they'll, they'll hate us, but they'll at least allow us to walk down the street. Yeah. Yeah. Without crossing the road. Yeah. Right. Right. Maybe I'll be allowed to go into the store without being accused of theft. You know, it's it's like if, if we do this enough times, maybe they'll accept us even if they still hate us. Right, right. And if you look at especially the early X-Men, it kind of plays into the fact that the public face of the X-Men have all been people who are generally normal, attractive yes. looking. They present people. it. Yep, that's a fact. Iceman, unless he powered up, you wouldn't, you would see a, what looked like a white guy. Yeah. And a fairly attractive white guy. Jean Grey, Cyclops, even Beast on the early, in the early days mm-hmm. before the fur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was bigger. He wasn't maybe conventionally attractive, but it's like, oh yeah, you know what? He looks like a football player. Right. Angel. All very passable for average humans, especially in the early years. 
Cyclops would just have to wear his glasses or something. Right. Angel regularly hit his wings. And with Beast not having his blue fur look, they all just looked like normal people. Mm-hmm. In the second and third generations, you started seeing less traditional looking characters. You got Wolverine, who admittedly, while still white and everything, he was he he was noted for looking always a bit different because yeah. he was not only short, but he was because remember he in the comics he's like five four yeah, or something. Yeah, like he's that. very short. Five four or five six. He he's short. He's stocky, but he's also like extremely hairy, kind of uh, gruff, all that stuff. He 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 looked like he fits more in a biker bar than he would in as being a your average American type thing. Right. But then you also got Storm, who would be black. You had uh, Remy LeBeau, Gambit, mm-hmm. who, again, while still very passable, had a very thick accent and everything mm-hmm. else, mm-hmm. definitely played it up. And you had Nightcrawler. Who, yeah. <laughs> which, in, in the early years... This wasn't optional for him. Right. Xavier forced him to wear image. Uh, image inducer, yep. yep. To make him appear normal. Facts. And normal was white. Yeah. Now, in Nightcrawler's defense, he was German, <laughs> right? But if you look at who his mom's was, and you look at who his dad was, He's still dark, right? So yeah. it's like, they, yeah, 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 yeah. But it's like, but the fact that he was still forced to wear image inducers to appear normal, mm-hmm. he didn't have the choice. The only time he didn't have to wear it was when they were on a mission, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they were in an open mission, stealth missions. He still had to wear it. Right. He had to be careful. He wasn't allowed to shake people's hands because then they'd realize that he only had like three fingers. (laughs) He has three fingers. He doesn't have a normal hand. Right. Which has kind of been retconned now. I think he has normal hands nowadays. It might be. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think you're right about that. But when he first debuted, he he did only have three fingers on his hand. Or it's like one thumb, two fingers, but they were they were all kind of massive. He he had to have the image inducer, mm-hmm. and he either had to wear special gloves so that if someone shook his hand, it felt like a normal hand, right? Or he just wasn't allowed to do that because they'd know. And that's that itself is a metaphor for whitewashing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know something a lot of minorities have to do is do things that would make them seem more white. Yeah. It draws less attention to themselves. If they're like that, whether it's going by a different name, because mm-hmm. you see that with a lot of Hispanic people, your name is Jose. It's not uncommon to just go Joe. Or if you're like Luis, it's Lou. Right. Because that, that that's a white sounding version mm-hmm. of their same name. Mm-hmm. You even had you Jewish st- people changing um their their yeah. last names so not to appear uh, Jewish. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just 
you know, non-white people. Right. Certain groups of white people also had to do this. The Irish had to too. do that. A lot of them did that. The, the Irish were big on that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's the fact that you saw a metaphor for that rather directly in the X-Men as well. Yeah. And there's obviously more, like we talk about sexual identities and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the topic of our next episode. So we're going to go into that again there yeah. because the X-Men are a very big part of that as well. Right. And the last thing we mentioned it a bit earlier is race swapping of characters. Mm-hmm. And this can also be applied to gender swapping. Yep. Certain characters, it works because their characters aren't rooted in their race or gender. Right. Certain characters, it does not work with. Black Panther cannot be a white guy. Mm-hmm. Because his character is rooted in the fact that he is an African prince of a country that is isolationist and very, very black. Right. You can't have him be white without completely undoing the basis of his character. And the fact, like you said, that the Wakandans um, were never conquered or enslaved. So they did not have the issue of um, having to deal with uh, other uh, groups of people that weren't ethnically like them mixing in and breeding in with them. That wasn't a thing. They were isolationists. They, that wasn't a thing. So the next time you see somebody try to criticize a uh, race swap of a character by using some very ham-fisted uh, uh, analogy, what if Black Panther was white? You know that they don't, that this is a, uh, that reaction they're having right there, it's all emotional. It's not logic. They, 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 they didn't, they, they, they're grasping at straws because yeah. the, the fact they, is. They never underwent what something like Zimbabwe did where right. it was Rhodesia. And right. it was led exclusively by white exactly. people during that period. Exactly. Exactly. They never dealt with that. So yeah, to to race swap him, gender isn't important. Right. As has been shown by the fact that Shuri has also been, been Black, Black Panther. Panther. Mm-hmm. There's been other previous female Black Panthers. Right. So gender isn't important. You can make Black Panther man or woman or gay or uh, right. Mm-hmm. right. Gay, lesbian, transsexual. Doesn't matter. That would not affect his the character of Black Panther. Right. But him being white or Asian or Asian or uh, Native American Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. would basically undo the basis of his character. It would undo the complete the whole logic of the lore. And I know there's been another example is one recently where uh, there's been a lot of talk about if the MCU casts Wolverine, possibly making him Native American. And that's one where it wouldn't take much to make everything work with that backstory. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. His backstory is like, yeah, his his mother cheated on his father, and he was the result of that. Right. But the person he thought was his father was 
not necessarily rich, but a well-off white landowner right. in a small town in rural Canada. Right. If you if you make him Native American, he would just be like maybe the son of a tribal chief. Right. And right. it's that's basically it right there. That's the equivalent, and you can go from it, and it wouldn't make a huge difference. Mm-mm. So, yeah, something like that would work. Or, Especially when you consider how very uh, close to nature Wolverine yeah. is, his respect for it, um, it's very similar. His philosophy is very similar to what you'll find with a lot of Native American um, tribes, the connection with the, um, with nature and animals and plant life and all this other stuff like that. Yeah. It's very close to that. And you could still have him do all his adventures in Japan and yep. all that stuff there too. And yep. it, again, it, that's one of those ones where I don't think it would make a huge difference in the character, but no. there there could be an argument made that it would actually make the character better. Yeah. And I see the merits in that. Me too. I, I think it wouldn't really play out any differently, but I could see the arguments as to why it would make it better. And there really isn't any arguments to say why it would be worse. Except for the fact that people will be attempting to make really bad arguments. <laughs> Like, yeah. One thing we know, we will see people attempt to make really bad arguments, bad comparisons, if they go in that direction, because that's what typically happens. The only way it doesn't happen is if, um, like, I'll give you a classic example. So you, you didn't see that as much with Nick Fury, because it had already been established that there is a version of Nick Fury in the Ultimate Comics, long before the movies came out, that resembled that Samuel black. Jackson's the black guy, right? And in fact, they got the permissions. Y- yes, on condition that if he was cast in the, if he was made into a movie, Sam Jackson got, got first shot at. Yeah, exactly. So that's why you didn't see as much. I did see someone make a um, uh, an argument saying that um. Ask or not so much an argument, but asking why they didn't go with uh, the white um, Nick Fury, and that was quickly um, like suppressed shut and shut down once they saw. Comic, look, this is comic book accurate, right? It's comic yep. book accurate. So, and one example that we saw where it did kind of flip a little bit, and Marvel received a fair bit of flack for they this did. one. They did was in the Doctor Strange movie. The mm-hmm. ancient one was changed from an old Asian man to a white woman. Right. In Tilda Swinton. But again, despite being poorly received, it didn't affect the character of the mm-hmm. ancient one. The, the basis of the ancient one is that the character is ancient or a very old sorcerer right. who is the teacher. How they worked it is, instead of being uh, an ancient Asian man based out of the Himalayas. She was an ancient Celtic sorcerer. And the thing about sorcery is that all cultures um, have it, have it, or have a version of so, it. So yeah. So again, that's one where race they re- they receive flack for it, and I get why. But it's not important to the character, just like gender was not important to the character of the ancient one. Yeah, I think the and only reason why, why ultimately I... it didn't 
It didn't. Yeah, it didn't, it didn't make it didn't, a difference. It didn't make it, a difference. You it know? was a complete non-factor. And honestly, Tilda Swinton is one of those actors who can take that role, make it her own. And she did. She and did. and put a bit of a spin on it that I don't think many actors could have done. She absolutely did. Um, so she nailed the role. She nailed so, it. She nailed it. So I'm personally not mad about it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I think one of the reasons that they caught, one of the arguments that I heard was that with there being a scant amount of Asian characters in the MCU to take a character that is in the comic books, Asian, and then uh, turn a white woman, it took away a job opportunity for um, an Asian actor that could have fulfilled that role. Of course, what we have about to happen in what, a couple of uh, weeks, months or whatever is Shang-Chi, which is the entire movie is focused in on, um, uh, uh, the Asian ethnic, um, ethnic ethnicity. So I, I don't think, like I for one did not see that. Maybe it's because I'm not, I'm not one of the Asians that make an argument, but yeah, I didn't see it as it's one where again I see the argument, but it's like I said, it's not like Black Panther where the right, right, tied to it. Right, it's not like Luke Cage who the reason Luke Cage doesn't necessarily work out as a black or as a white person is the fact that his character is also heavily meant to be a criticism yep of the dualities of the police Absolutely. system in the US how there is a different one for white people and black people white right. people you do something you might get 6 months that a black person would get 2 years for mhm Mm-hmm. And then you get off for good behavior, even if you're misbehaving. Where the person, black person who doesn't misbehave at all, might still get extended for misbehaving, even and if he even, didn't do even if he didn't do anything. And even when it comes to the juvenile um, system, because I, where I grew up, um, they had something called uh, they had two things: Boys Village, and another one called Montrose, and. When when kids that was under the age of eighteen uh, got in trouble, they would send. They could, depending on what they what the uh, court said, they could send you there for an extended period of time. And if you are a black kid, you're going there. White kids do the exact same mischievous stuff and get driven home to their parents and say, "Look, your kid did blah blah blah. Make sure you blah blah blah." A lot of black kids wasn't getting that benefit of the doubt. Because at the end of the day, that's yeah. that's kind of what it's about, benefit of the doubt. It's like um, uh, the cop will be extra aggressive if they have a perception of black kids or black being adults being more aggressive, more violent, more dangerous, even if they did the exact same thing. Like they, bur- they bust the window. Well, a white kid busted the window too. But it's it's just in how the approach is when they approach the kid about it. If they already assume the kid to be violent, if they already assume have a perception of the kid to be extra aggressive, they're going to assume a, an aggressive posture prematurely, and 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 then it, you know we have bad outcomes when stuff like that happens. And Luke Cage, like you said, that character was meant to be um, to be used as a vehicle. Um, to discuss that problem. So having him as a white guy would miss the point. In America. Right. Having him as a white guy would miss the point. And even, 
and even changing his race to maybe Asian wouldn't have the same impact. Mm-mm. 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 The only one that where you could probably change it to Latin. Would if be, he's yeah, Puerto Latino. Rican or something, yeah, I can yeah, see. I Latino, can see possibly Native American. Absolutely, yeah, possibly Native American. Yep, yep, those ones. But like, it yep. wouldn't necessarily work as well if he was white, regardless of born in the U.S. or European immigrant. Right, it wouldn't work the same as white, and would not work the same if he was most types of asian if he was chinese it really wouldn't make the same if he was east indian wouldn't make the same right arguments could be made for like south or uh, like southeast asian like Mm -hmm. indonesian Mm -hmm. filipino Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. there is a bit more statistically in the u.s right but it's still it's questionable it's questionable it's questionable and again it's like one of the things i think um People have to get out of this this habit because what we notice, what we see happening in, in just the political landscape now, um, this idea that black people can't tell their story. That I see happening with the whole uh, CRT thing and I see it extended into comic books. The moment uh, 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 black people have a story to tell about their experience here, that's why you got to bring up race. Well, I got to tell you, that most of our experience in this country has had a race element to it. So if you tell us we can't talk about that, then you tell us we can't tell our story. That's basically what you're saying. So that um, aversion that I see a lot of times to people um, when they see a comic book character, particularly a black comic book character, that has something to do with any sort of um, racial uh, strife, stress, or theme you see people have a ref- this reflexive um, uh, uh, distaste or disdain for that. Oh, here comes the SJWs. I got to tell you, bro, like I was born in 1969. It was only a couple of years from them signing the Civil Rights Bill. Like you can't tell me that I, so you're basically saying that we, basically the thing is, if you if you tell a story about black people in this country, you can only tell it from the 2000s <laughs> because if you go back any other decades there's a race story to be told right like you can't just ignore that but they want you to ignore that because it makes certain people feel bad i guess um and i don't know if that's um well i know i'm not going for that tell your story and that's why you yeah. know i get with the whole race swapping thing there is controversy with certain characters, but a lot of the times some of the arguments being made against it that I see some of these people doing are flat out logically inconsistent. They just are. Yeah. You know? And again, it heavily comes down to what is the story the character itself is trying to tell. Right. Right. Like Daredevil, you could, you could race swap daredevil mm-hmm. without a real any problem as long as he is still catholic he has to be catholic yep yep his religion is a main part of his character exactly exactly as catholic as the catholic guilt the main reason they went with irish is because that area of new york mm-hmm. is, is a real neighborhood yes and is heavily irish right 
but also because a lot of Catholics in the U.S. are from of Irish heritage. Facts. So it would make sense. It wouldn't make it or it would still make sense because there are Catholics of all. Yeah, I used to date. Races. I used to date a, um, a girl. She's black but, girl, Catholic. But it makes more sense with him being mm-hmm. white that he's Irish. Yeah, it does. It just does. But, but again, you could make him black. You could make him Filipino. You mm-hmm. could make him Native American as long as he's Catholic. Yep. The core of the character is there because it's the religious guilt and all that stuff. Exactly. That's a big part of his character. Exactly. Exactly. And he has to be deaf. <laughs> blind. As long as he's, excuse me, blind. As long as he's blind and a Catholic, you have Daredevil right there. It's right there. As a matter of fact, Daredevil could be a, a, a woman. Yep. It could be a woman. Like, Again, it's why Elektra has taken up the role of facts. Daredevil. Facts. Iron Fist has taken up the role of Daredevil. Facts. Facts. Like, Oh, and can we talk about Iron Fist for a minute too? Because there seems to be, I think there's some confusion about that character as well. Yes. Like people are saying, well, they made they made him into they they're attaching him to the white savior thing, where this white guy learns martial arts, all of a sudden he's the greatest martial arts. If you look at 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 Iron Fist's story, him being white is a necessity to tell this story. It's the yes. fish out of water stuff. And it also plays heavily into the stuff where with the early heroes for hire, yes, Luke Cage and Iron Fist yes. stuff, that dynamic actually is a big part of it as yes, well. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So I get why people are gun-shy because they, and hair trigger on that, because they've seen too many examples of this in the past, but if you dig into that character... Uh, uh, Danny Rand being white is actually an intrinsic part of this particular story they have to tell. If you'd have made him any, it would have took away so much stuff. Like, for instance, the fact that Danny Rand uh, comes from a wealthy family, right, Th- that are, 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 are basically, they own a giant corporation, right? A multinational A multinational corporation. corporation. Like, if you're, if you're to be honest, how many... Uh, 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 black companies are are that big to that extent. You won't find that. Like there are certain elements that are intrinsic to him being the demographic he is to tell the and story the they're trying to time, tell. His story, as it goes on, is heavily developed partly by the influences he's faced. Right. Right. Growing up in a society that doesn't necessarily value money, it values character. Right. And also his friendship with Luke Cage. Right. There's a lot of stuff he's done where there there was a uh, recent, I think it would have been three or four years ago, there was a short-lived Heroes for Hire mm-hmm. one where Luke Cage and Iron Fist. I forget which one, it, which title they went with. Right. But like Danny goes to jail and Luke sits there is like, why are you here? He's like, because I, I did this stuff. It's like, yeah, but you're rich and you're white. You can literally buy your way yeah, out. out of you don't this, have right. to do this. Right. And it's like, and 
he looks almost like in your iron fist you know you do more good on the streets than you do here right enough right. of this white savior bullshit <laughs> and outright calls him out mm-hmm. and danny's like no i have to do this because because they were trying to hunt down this thing because a bunch of all these like former minor minor level criminals were all that all seemed reformed and were good parts of the community all suddenly started going back to crime and getting arrested for it. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to do that. It's like, no, because a bunch of the guys that we were looking for to do this are here. Right. So he actually had to explain it, but the fact that without explaining it, Luke Cage made a very good point of you're white and you're rich. And the crime that they have you pegged on is so minor that you don't have to be in prison unless right. you specifically asked for it. Facts. Like facts. And calls him out. It's like, and it's that kind of thing. How much of the community outreach stuff that Danny Rand does as Iron Fist has his corporation do all this other stuff? Mm-hmm. A lot of it is because of Luke Cage's influence. Right. Like they had what was it like the Thunder Dojo or whatever they right. opened up that was in Harlem was based around stuff like Luke Cage told him like hey we can do a lot of good in this community if we do this we're keeping people off the streets if they're off the streets mm-hmm. they're not in gangs and all this stuff it's like you know what you're right and combined with how he was raised in Kunlun with money not necessarily being an important thing, strength of character right. is what's more important. It made sense, like, you know what? You make a good point. That's a good thing to do. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like his story definitely makes more sense with him being white. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of the stories with him and Luke Cage are there to basically show how their upbringings gave them two very different viewpoints and perspectives. Viewpoints yeah. On. Yeah. Yeah. It was necessary for the story. Um, so with that, uh, we just wanted to give you guys some perspective on the whole, uh, we, they should keep politics out of comic books, things. And we don't, we did that by hitting, we're going to be hitting the major, uh, uh, controversy buttons <laughs> that people tend to be critical of the most in this series of uh, videos, or excuse me, a series, a series of episodes. So, um, give us any feedback that you have. We would love to have that con- continue to have this conversation with you on this topic because we think it's important. We think that that narrative that comic books should be devoid of politics, we think it's pretty stupid considering the fact that it's always had a place. In comic books. Even for some of the stuff that neither of us agree with. Exactly. Influential. Exactly. Making certain characters. It's just what it is. It's just what it is. And maybe. forget, like Stan Lee's soapbox in the back of every Marvel. Exactly. Exactly. Throughout the 60s and 70s, he actively talked about how police brutality affects Mm -hmm. minorities more than anything. He actively talks about how racism Mm -hmm. is a problem amongst the white community where white people have a habit of being 
extremely racist to the detriment of everyone else. Right. He's talked about discrimination against other religions. He's talked about discrimination against other sexualities. Mm-hmm. This was in the 60s and 70s. Facts. Certain comics, and we'll talk about this again in the next episode where mm-hmm. we touch on sexuality, mm-hmm. but certain comics where it's like, oh, how come Iceman didn't come out as gay until the 2000s? Because in the 60s and 70s, they were literally not allowed yeah. to display gay characters. Yeah. It w- if you did, that comic could not be published in the United States. Facts. Facts. It could be published in Britain. It could be published in Canada. It could not be published in the United States if yep. they did that. So they literally couldn't show a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, it's, there are people that are quick to throw around the whole uh, uh, people are, are very sensitive or the, even the snowflake thing. I think it's kind of snowflakeish to start wigging out about something that has always been. It's literally always been there. And then the moment you see it in this particular type of politics that you disagree with, because the writers, listen, I don't know any artists that don't put their worldview in their art. I don't name one. I can't think of one. Not any serious ones. They're gonna they're gonna utilize their worldview to create their art. So these writers, this is still an art. It's a business, but it's also an art. If you expect these writers not to put their worldview in their writing, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. Um, but if you don't like it, don't read it. But you can't. You can't then say that you're this big comic book aficionado. Stop using that to shut down the conversation. Oh, I know about comic books, and that's not what that's not what's in the comic book. Well, sir, we're finding various stories from the past, but even before you were born, all right, where they were talking about that. So apparently, you're not as much of an aficionado on comic books as you'd like to pretend that you are, because we're finding these these stories that've been around. And that's not even just Marvel. We we talked Marvel here, but you can go in DC and find some of the same. You will find politics in DC uh, comic books from way back, way back. So it is what it is with that. But anyway, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Like I said, we got a we got some more uh, that we're gonna do upcoming. Um, is there anything you promoting this week? No, I've been putting the energy into like doing the due diligence. Mm. in these episodes absolutely this is something where you gotta have some you you can't just wing it like a lot of episodes because like there if we get something wrong it's like you know what hey i fucked up about this right here if we get something wrong given the topic matter it becomes a far different issue I, i agree i agree completely um so when you guys get a chance go check out the black culture geeks podcast it streams live every Saturday at 11 a.m. EST. And, of course, you can find the playback anywhere where podcasts are streaming. Um, also, go check out Eddie's Game Room. Eddie's Game Room, he started started streaming back up again. You can find his live streams on YouTube and on Facebook on pages and channels of the same name. And, of course, never forget Jaded Nerd's Celebrity Beat on his channel, Jaded Nerd. Go check that out. Also, check out the Rise podcast uh, where we talk about boxing, politics, sports, fitness, and all that stuff. 
Um, definitely go check that out. That live streams every Sunday at 12 o'clock EST um, on YouTube and on Facebook. And on Facebook, you find it on the Rise, uh, Rise Inc. is the name of the Facebook uh, page that you can um, watch it live stream on as well. Um, so for my man, Super Side Guy, I am Tombstone the Dead Man. We are Medicine Mutants, and we are out of here. Peace. Peace.